Um, I, th- I think it, I, I, I mean, I don't know, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of No Script. That's right. Today we are talking about just a really, really good play, really sharp. I hadn't read it before. I hadn't seen it. This was a brand new script to me as part of, you know, reading for our season. And I just fell in love with it. I thought it was just really, really hard hitting, powerful, interesting characters. I'm really excited to talk about it. Skeleton Crew by Dominique Morisot. Yeah, yeah, it was a new play to me too. I hadn't really heard about it much, and I'm, I, I was excited to get to read it and and to engage with the kind of really, really uh, tough, deep themes within this play. And it is, you know, last week we talked about the humans, which is a really dramatic, moving look at kind of uh, American family. And this is an interesting, I think, an interesting pairing to that script because it is also small cast. It is also kind of uh, character-focused drama, but about American workplace instead. Yeah, kind of a different type of family. I mean, you, you yeah, pro- especially in, yeah, in the, I mean, as, as we get into the script, this will make more sense, but in the, the time that these people spend at their jobs is almost as much as they would spend with a family. So it's an interesting kind of parallel to a family drama. Right, and they have that same kind of high-context relationship that the family and the humans had, for sure. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of sentence finishing, a lot of uh, banter back and forth. So I'm excited to get to jump into it. Before we do, I want to take just a second and thank all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash no script podcast. Thank you all so much for being a part of keeping this podcast going. Uh, those of you who are longtime listeners to the show know that uh, while we love having these conversations with each other and with all of you out in podcast land, alas, this endeavor is not free. Um, there are some associated fees with a hosting a podcast. Podcast and buying the scripts that we can't find at our local library and just a considerable amount of time uh, that is invested in the podcast. So if you are enjoying the podcast to some degree and are looking for a way to ensure that we keep getting to have these conversations, uh, head over to patreon.com slash no script podcast. When you get over there, you'll see a number of different tiers of subscription or patronship. Um, and uh, the lowest tier is just $1 at $1 slash $12 over the course of a year, you get access to kind of the, the inside community over at, at patreon.com uh, slash no script podcast where we post patron only posts and the like. There's a number of other tiers that you can look at when you get over there. So uh, if you're looking for a way to help out the podcast, that's one of the great ways to do it. Head over to patreon.com slash no script podcast and we will see you over there. And now back to the script. Back to the script. Skeleton Crew was premiered in 2016 at the Atlantic Theater Company. It was developed before that by a play development center in New York. That was back in 2014. It won the 2014 Sky Cooper New American Play Prize. Um, Dominique Morisot wrote a three-play cycle about Detroit. She grew up in Detroit. Her family was in Detroit. And she calls this three-play cycle the Detroit project. It includes two other plays, Paradise Blue and Detroit 67. Skeleton Crew is the first of the three. I'm not really sure that they're chronological, but it's it's the first that came out of the three. Um, she's an incredible playwright. Had plays developed by the Eugene O'Neill Playwrights Conference. She's had plays commissioned by Steppenwolf, South Coast Rep, Oregon Shakespeare Company. Lots of reviewers kind of compare the way that she uses poetic language and deep character-based story. They compare her to Clifford Odets and Arthur Miller. In 2018, she won the MacArthur Foundation's Genius Grant, so that's really notable about her. And and Skeleton Crew itself won an Obie Award for collaboration. She worked in tandem with director uh, Ruben Santiago Hudson, and so the colla- their special collaboration on this piece was awarded an Obie Award for that. So 2016 is when it premiered. It's a play that's only five, four-ish, five-ish years old. And it's it's about the collapse of Detroit. And in that way, 
though the collapse of Detroit is is longer ago in some of our memories, so many things have happened since then in our society, it, it's still a very fresh um, pain in, in the American landscape, I think. Mm-hmm, certainly in Detroit itself. Um, and and that that aspect of the play does ground it in a specific time. Um, the, the setting for the play, this, uh, this is where I synopsize the play. I'm just jumping right into it with very little transition. Um, uh, the setting of the play is somewhere around 2008, around the time that Detroit was collapsing. Um, the uh, Detroit, Michigan, it's a, in a stamping plant, and it's in the winter. So actually, all of those are fairly important things for the play. <laughs> it, it is a little prescriptive for those those times and settings and seasons, because there's a lot of action that is generated out of that. Um, the four characters that we meet in this play are Faye. Faye, um, I'll just kind of go through the character descriptions, essentially. Um, Faye is a black woman, mid to late 50s. Uh, she's a working class woman, and she has had a tough lifetime of uh, of working in this factory for almost thirty years. Um, yeah, she uh, that, she got pregnant. We learn in the play in what I if I'm doing the math right, it was like her early twenties, and yeah. because of that, she had to drop out of school and found this job, and has been doing this job ever since in a factory. Hmm. Then there's Dez, who is a black man mid to late 20s. Um, he's kind of the, I think he's the youngest person on the crew. Um, maybe Shanita and him are the same, or roughly the same age, but he's pretty young. Um, he's kind of, uh, he's he's a, a, a hard worker. He comes in, he's a little bit uh, kind of, uh, playful, more playful than the others. He's he's his, the banter that he generates is often a little bit more uh, uh, pushing the buttons of the Off other ones color, around. Color maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then there's Shanita, who is a black woman in her mid to late twenties. Um, she is uh, pregnant at the moment in the play. <laughs> so she, throughout the action of the play, she is going through kind of middle of her of her pregnancy. Um, she, uh, she is, uh, this, I'll get to the, where, where it's all taking place in a minute. So she's there. And then also Reggie, who is a black man in his late thirties, he's their foreman. So he's a kind of a white collar worker. Uh, and, and all these characters meet or the action of the play, at least, uh, takes place within the break room at the stamping plant that they work at. Um, so, so each of the scenes take place over breaks over when they're checking in for work for the day and uh, checking out for work for the day or the moments before or after. Um, the action of the play follows as uh, we kind of join them on a, on a somewhat typical work day. However, pretty quickly we begin to hear rumblings that they are hearing uh, across all of Detroit that factories are closing, especially the smaller, um, less conglomerative factories are closing. And pretty early on, we start to get the the uh, pressure uh, from that. Um, that that's that is one of the inciting incidents of the play is that factories are closing. Are we next? Um, and that generates quite a bit of tension for everybody. Um, for Reggie, it generates, uh, he's, he's the foreman and these are his friends. It's becomes clear that he has worked his way up from the, from the ground up. Essentially, he was a, a floor worker and became foreman. So there's tension there. Faye is, has, has worked here for almost 30 years. She's, she's, she often says, I am in this place. I'm in the vents. I'm in the lockers. I can see through walls here. Um, and so she, she is, uh, also the, though the union organizer. So right away you have these two pretty powerful people. I think Faye probably has more power in, in the scope of the play than Reggie, but right there, there's some, um, there's some tension and conflict between them as they're trying to hold up, uh, with integrity, each other's, uh, story or and each other's roles. The other thing about Faye and Reggie that is pretty crucial to why the play goes in the direction that it goes is that they are not just two co-workers or two strangers who happen to be at cross purposes, the management at the factory and the union rep. They are dear, dear friends. Faye and Reggie's mother had – it may have been a friendship. It, it may have been more than that. We know that Faye is um, – She's interested in women. It's it's not always it's not clear whether that is exclusive, like whether she's a lesbian person or a bisexual person. Um, she did have a child, but at the very least, she's teased quite often throughout the play about being uh, interested in women. And so there's some 
possible insinuation that Reggie's mother and her had a, a romantic relationship. But at the very least, they were very close friends. And Faye helped Reggie, who was, you know, her very close friend's son, get this management job at the factory. So they're very close to each other. They're they're longtime friends. They're they're longtime caring about each other. And so they have this relationship that is incredibly personal that goes above and outside of their working relationship where, because the plant is going to be closing, puts them at cross purposes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think the, the, their connection, they're basically family um, to some degree. And, and that comes out through the action of the play because um, lot, there's there's so many little, like, little tiny, beautiful, rich plot lines in this play. Um, we discover that Faye has lost her house. Faye is, has recently gone through a uh, battle with cancer. She's in remission, but uh, she's had to lose, lose her house, so she is sleeping in the factory. That's a big plot point that comes up. Um, Shanita and Dez are both trying to figure out how, um, if this factory is closing, how they're going to survive afterwards. And their tactics are are very different. Shanita uh, focuses on, I'm going to do my work to the best of my ability. I'm going to get no uh, complaints against me and I'm going to push through and and hopefully uh, then have somewhere else to go or some some other job after this. Dez is a little bit more angry about uh, it closing and his tactics are a little bit more um, I'm going to resist this. I'm going to we're going to fight this and we're going to fix it through the action of the play um, before we get into some of the great themes of this play through the action of the play a lot of things are called into question. Someone begins stealing things from the factory and Reggie starts to blame Dez for that um and and tensions arise we 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 learn a lot about des he brings a gun into work and uh reggie catches him uh with eventually the the factory implements uh bag checks on their way out of the door and so it becomes clear that des has brought in a gun to work um and 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 the all the while some time passes the factory is closing and eventually the higher ups are telling reggie that he has to fire people so uh, towards the end of the play, it becomes uh, a question of whether Des is going to get fired, whether Faye is going to get fired, and what Reggie is going to do um, in terms of fighting for his friends, the the people who he has worked with and who are, who are his family and friends, um, or if he's going to have to figure out a way to stick and do his job well as a form, or what he thinks is 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 a good version of his job, which is to try to figure out how this factory continues to run. So that's the big tension uh, towards the end of the play. The these again, broad strokes. We'll dig into the specifics at the end of the play. Uh, the, the higher ups tell Reggie that he needs to fire Faye. Yeah. So towards the end of the play, the 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 plot starts to develop, especially when Faye's job is the one that's sort of on the line. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the biggest breaking point for Reggie. Reggie tells the bosses essentially no. Uh, he actually kind of almost gets physical with one of the bosses, and um and. Uh, has, is is worried that he'll keep his job or not, and Faye is left with the decision whether or not she can try to make things right by stepping down, retiring a year before 30 years, um, which is a much less retirement plan, and uh, she decides to do that. Um, the play ends after she has done that with uh, the group kind of reeling from her not being there and wondering how to move forward and Reggie trying to figure out how to caretake basically this this small family of his <laughs> um, as the factory is closing. One of the things that is so beautiful to me about this script and about these characters is you look at these two, the two youngest characters, Shanita and Dez, and they're both in this stage of, uh, let me, let me loosely use the word pregnancy because <laughs> that, I think that applies to both of them in, in a way, right? In Shanita's sense, it's a very, it's literally, she's pregnant. She's constantly looking forward towards the birth of her child. Uh, scene after scene, she's looking at names. She's uh, worried about the health of her of her child. She's, all, all of this stuff, right? There's this forward looking at the delivery of the child and what her life is going to be like when that occurs. And Des, he's sort of, pregnant with an idea or a dream. He's got this dream to open his own repair shop to go into business for himself. 
And he, like Shanita, is constantly working overtime to have the money to support her child. Des is constantly working overtime to have the money to bring into the world this dream repair shop of his. And we so we get these two people who are on the precipice of achieving something that they're incredibly excited about in their lives, something that's going to move their lives into a different direction than they are in right now. And... Contrasted with them, we find Faye, who is, it's hard to look at, and I think for her as the character, it's hard to look forward for her. And, And she, I think in her life, she's felt like much of the things that she was in the past looking forward to have sort of fallen away. She doesn't have a good relationship with her son. She has lost her home and is now sleeping in the break room. This building that she's invested 29, almost 30 years of her life in that, as you said, she describes herself as being part of, uh, she's looking to leave. You know, she's looking towards this 30-year leaving plan. And, And what does that really mean for a character like Faye? And so we have these contrasting views of what life beyond the play looks like. Yeah, and and everyone is trying their different tactics to try to to figure out how that works for them. Um, I I do like I do like the the idea that Faye is somewhat separate from that and almost kind of li- living very present minded. Um, she 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 wants to be fulfilled. She wants to have the job here. Um, she wants to be able to smoke her cigarettes. Um, she wants to be able to uh, continue to gamble occasionally in the break room. And that's a very uh, her tactic seems to be. I'm going to focus on the present. I'm going to focus on living now. Um, and and you know not not need the future as much. Um, versus I think someone like, like Des, as you mentioned, who is, who's very focused on the future, really doesn't want to be stuck here in the present all that much longer and try to move his life into a new phase quickly. And then Shanita, by contrast to all of that, she is, she has this child that's coming. So she is on, in the one sense, looking towards what's going to happen in the future. But in the other sense, she loves her job here. I mean, she is she's offered another job at a different place doing a different line of work through the course of the play and sort of openly and outright says, no, I'd rather be doing this. I feel empowered by being a skilled factory worker like I am. I feel empowered doing the work I'm doing. And so then there's even that little sort of subtle difference between her and Des. That's one of the, the the really special cultural learning that you get in this play is this culture that these workers have about being metal workers in Detroit. They have a, a high sense of the 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 honor of that or the fulfillment that that work gives them. Uh, they're very devoted to this factory and they're just wanting the factory to k- take care of them a little bit in return um, they, that, so that they can live and still have this job. And, and like you said, that, that scene with Shanita is a really uh, draws a lot of attention to that. She has this beautiful monologue about how, sure, I could go to this copy store and, and work on small machines uh, all the time, um, but here, here I feel accomplished by the end of the day. I feel like I've contributed something that's going to last for a long time. Um, and and that that um, that kind of center for these folks is is a, a huge uh, part of why they're trying to stick it out at all. And the scene is so poignant and so memorable because we've been given dramatic irony, right? We know alongside Faye, who's the other character in the scene with Janita, that that the factory's closing, that there is no there is no job going to be in the future here for her. And so when she says, this is what I want to be doing. I don't want to go work at a copy center. I love this work. I'm going to stay here. And Faye, who's agreed to secrecy about the closing of the plant, just has to sort of say, okay, I don't know. Okay. She has to kind of grit her teeth. And actually she changes the subject pretty quickly because it's uncomfortable for her. We're able to see into that, you know, having to hold that secret so tightly. That's one of the really uh, expertly done things about this play is the control of secrets and the the uh, awareness that the audience has of them. You mentioned one, and that's uh, there's a scene where Reggie confides in Faye that the plant is closing. He knows that she's the union organizer, and he essentially says, just don't 
do anything yet. Let me try to figure this out. And because of their closeness of their relationship, Faye agrees. Um, and that's, a, that's the first scene of the play. This is that's yeah. right away. This becomes what we know. And, and multiple scenes go by. I think maybe a whole act really goes by before the cat is fully out of the bag that this is happening. So there's many interactions that we see with Faye and, and, and her co-workers uh, around this theme of Faye knows it's closing. She's trying to give advice to these folks, and it's, and it's hard. She has to kind of weave through this line of secrecy and half-truth, half-lying. Um, and, and there are more instances of this. The audience has shown uh, Des has a gun fairly early in the play. So we know all the time that it's kind of in his locker. Um, and so there's the, interestingly, this is the, the rare occasion when a gun is foreshadowed and it's never fired in a, in a, in a, in a play. Um, but we know that that threat is always there or that, that, that peace is always, that secret that he's keeping is always a part of the conversations. And it is used in an offstage capacity. Uh, we learned that in one of the scenes, Des comes in almost late for work because he's been robbed or somebody has attempted to rob him. And he's very evasive about how he managed to get out of the situation. As the audience, knowing that he has a gun on him, we know that that's how he managed to get out of that situation. And so all of his sort of scene after scene insistence that it's important to be carrying that weapon in a place like where he lives because it keeps him safe. It's, it's borne out. It's proven true. Yeah. Yeah. And all of this, all this takes place in the, in the, in the banter back and forth of people in the break room. And I don't know that, that, that there's really another, uh, a uh, cauldron or pressure cooker that that works quite as well as break room after you know physical work <laughs> that 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 people come in and and kind of bounce off of each other in various levels of frustration and anger and and just need of a break um and and really forge these deep relationships around the secrets that they are holding from each other well and the break room is so i, I think that it works so well almost because it's it's a cold place, right? It's an impersonal place by design. A break room belongs to no individual person. It is a communal space, and so it lacks the personal touch. And, you know, Reggie right away in scene one kind of comes in, and he's, he's the kind of person who's trying to be a good manager, a good foreman. These are all his friends, and so he's sort of trapped between being uh, knowing all of these people, their faces, their stories, who they are, and being a manager. And so he's got that conflict going on in him, and he starts to play by bringing in this heater, this thing that immediately suggests one that the break room is not well heated already <laughs> yeah right that it's a it's a place that's cold enough that the workers are uncomfortable and two that he's trying to fix it by adding this thing that you would add to your home right this sort of personal heater in fact i believe it is his personal heater he puts up these signs that directly reference employee after employee but the break room is not a place that even he owns. In fact, the other three, the workers, spend much more time in there than he does. And then there's this added level to the break room where it's a place that's supposed to be impersonal, supposed to not belong to any one person, but it's also secretly, again, secrets, it's also Faye's bedroom or home. Yeah, it becomes this even weirder level of sacred space, like, <laughs> and you're and you're trying to you're trying to like balance between how irreverently everyone treats the space, while knowing that this is Faye's home, kind of. <laughs> this is where she sleeps, and so that's another fascinating element for the audience as they figure out that secret and then watch the rest of the play go on. Um, because there are things like her clothes are around the room um, because she basically has to do all her laundry there too. So there's one scene where uh, uh, Des and Shanita come a little early to work. Uh, they show up early to work and she's still kind of in this stage. Faye is still in the stage of like, oh, all my stuff is out in the room and has to real quick go around the room and pick everything up. So there's there's just a, a fascinating... Um, 
uh, a kind of space negotiation that happens um, between the characters as as Reggie keeps putting up signs to try to control the space a little bit more and as these characters negotiate for control of that space. Right, and that space negotiation is between the workers who treat it as a their place, you know, in, in Faye's sense, very literally, and in Des and Shanita's sense, more figuratively. But as the play develops, it becomes less and less figurative, right? I mean, the the constant back and forth between management and workers, they're about lots of different things. They're about smoking, which Faye does through the whole of the play, sort of middle finger up, whatever, to management about the smoking thing. They're yeah. about gambling, which happens scene after scene in the break room, despite the fact that they're being told and signs are being put up that say, don't do this. And they're about sex, right? I mean, Des and Shanita in an offstage scene uh, have sex in the break room. So the break mm-hmm. room becomes this personal home space or it is the kind of place that the characters want to believe is that kind of a space, even while the play forces them to confront the reality that it's not. Right, right. And it's slowly at that they begin to realize that it can be taken away from them quite quickly. Um, and and, and, and that, the, that happens in a very visceral sense, right? I mean, one of the major uh, things that happens right in the middle of the play is when Reggie breaks in to to Dez's locker. And that, that's a, that feels to Dez like an invasion of this space that is his, that he controls. And the reality that he's forced to confront is that he doesn't. Yeah, that 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 no one has control over this place except for the people upstairs. And 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 pretty pretty quickly we get the we get the feeling of oppression from these these mythic people upstairs, not really mythic, it's a very real theme in in uh in factory life, but um but yeah, the the the, the oppression of the bosses uh who own the building, who own this place that take the labor of these people who give like so much of their lives to this place and then kind of have the freedom to to just say, yeah, we're closing or yeah, your stuff is in our lockers. So we get to know what's in it. So that, that, uh, that invasion of the oppressor, um, becomes very clear partway through the play. And then it, it, it sort of highlights the, the longer story of the play of this factory closing this place that these workers feel like they've invested their personal selves into, Again, that, that there's that great monologue where Faye describes that she's become the factory, become the building. This is how those workers feel about what they do, about their life here. And yet, outside of their control, the factory's going to shut down and they're out. They're out on their ear. Now, maybe they'll be helped to find another job, but they're not going to work here. And so that's that same look at this space that I that I feel like on a day-to-day basis is mine as a worker truly belongs to someone else and is outside of my control. Mm-hmm. I like I like what you said about the kind of meta plot being the factory closing. And I would even go one further and say that the 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 factory is almost a character in this play. Um, what do you think of those like scenes that start the scenes? <laughs> well, yeah, I would say much more than kind of. The factory is a is a character <laughs> yeah. in this play. It's a it it is supposed to have a presence in the theatrical experience that the audience has. Now, it doesn't have dialogue or. Um, like it doesn't influence the plot of what occurs in the break room, but every scene transition has something like this at the beginning. I'm just reading now. I didn't try to pick the best one or anything. This is just um, one of the scene transitions where the factory is highlighted. Um, let me quick, I'm going to pick a different one. Flipping. <laughs> that one wasn't. You know what? I did pick it. That, well, I am. I am going to, I'm going to highlight a specific one. Um, let's see. I'm going to do this one. All right. I'm just quoting now. In darkness, the humming of machinery creates a Midwest hip hop score. It's an extension of this factory line soundtrack that opened the play. Silhouetted workers are seen in action, their factory line dance. 
Suddenly, a chink in the machinery. The workers repeat movements as if they are struck between two motions, unable to complete their task. Short-circuiting, caught in dysfunction. That is the stage direction that begins a scene, and then it says lights cross to the break room, and suddenly we're in the break room experiencing this this the scene that exists in realism, except for this factory choreography experience that occurs before that. Yeah, that's like performance art sort of uh, sort of extra piece of this play. And I like I like your qualification that there isn't uh, like a dialogue that affects the scene from the factory. I do think that there are there's almost lines though. Like there is noise that the factory is making, and there is uh, uh, certainly actions that evoke. Uh, movement and focus and intent. Um, the, the the factory begins to uh, throughout the play deteriorates. Um, and and one of the one of the really uh, poignant images, uh, probably three fourths of the way through the play, right about the time that everything is coming to a head, um, all the factory begins to kind of the factory performance art really begins to fall apart and it turns on itself. There's a bunch of uh, fighting between. However, however you choose to do the factory, if you're using humans, uh, the humans kind of turn on each other and and fight each other in the factory line. Yeah, it's almost, I mean, I imagine it as sort of like in a film or a TV show, like B-roll footage, like yeah. before you cut to the break room in the TV show of Skeleton Crew, you have some B-roll footage of a factory. And it's sort of like Dominique Morisseau says, I'm going to take that B-roll footage and I'm going to make it into a representative piece of art on its own that contributes something to the break room scenes beyond just setting them in a place. Yeah, yeah, it, in, it informs the, uh, as, as goes the factory, as goes this little group of family. Um, the, because, because eventually throughout the play, they begin to infight a little bit more. There's distrust. There's, uh, especially when Des figures out that Faye knew for quite a long time that the factory was going to close and just decided to keep it a secret from them for a while. Right, and, and Morisseau draws in the this i mean we're using performance art or whatever right. it is this this pre-scene factory imaginings she draws that into the play pretty early on in the same scene where Des and Shanita have arrived early Des is playing music or something and uh, getting ready and Shanita comes in and turns off the music and there's a little bit of back and forth about why and she says that she wants to experience the music of the factory in the early morning, the music of the machines and the people working and the humming of the building and things like that. And it's my sense that that's a fairly direct reference to these pre-scene factory things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a visceral nod to the, to the ongoing soundtrack of their lives that is always happening. And, and the, the, the kind of peace that, that at least Shanita draws from it. And I think the second time this scene happens, there's more than one instance where Shanita and Des are talking about this and kind of take a second and stop and listen to the noise. Um, that, that, uh, heartbeat of the factory is its own kind of level of peace for them. This, this, this rhythm that keeps going and you can kind of attune yourself to. So this is a story we've said a couple of times that maybe at the meta level is about this factory closing. And yet by the time the script ends, not only is the factory not closed, but they haven't even had a meeting to tell the workers the factory's closing. There's no date set for the factory closing. It's maybe by the end of the year, but that could be months and months away. So contained within the pages of the script, the factory does not close. <laughs> and in yeah. fact, before the action of the script, the decision was made by somebody higher up to close the factory. We only get this snippet of a couple of days. And within those couple of days, what is the story? I mean, the factory doesn't close. Yeah, well, I mean, to state the ridiculously obvious, the story is these characters. <laughs> um, but I think uh, one theme or at least one big through line for me that came out in this play was the story of where's where Faye's devotion lies. 
And I think there's there's a couple different options for her to kind of throw her weight into. Uh, she d- does her devotion lie with the union. Um, is her is her is her main goal to support the workers and fight against the the factory closing in a manner that will leave them out to dry? Um, does she decide to help Reggie out, someone who is her family, someone who she loves, someone uh, the the son of a woman that she that she loves? Um, does she decide to kind of fight for herself? Does she, by the end of the play, she, the choice is, do I fight for another year, stay here for another year so I can get into a better tier of retirement when it's time for me to retire? Or do I side with Reggie again? Do I try to, do I try to like get him out of this bind that he physically uh, intimidated at least? I don't think, it doesn't sound like it actually came to blows, but it almost did. He physically intimidated his boss. And if, if Faye asked the question, if I retire now, will that smooth things over? And will that help uh, Reggie keep his job and help him fight for the others as well? So I think some of the play is her journey of figuring out where she throws her her considerable sway and 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 power toward. Yeah, and what's interesting about that final decision that you highlighted that she has to make is that the decision itself, the the final choice is somewhat out of the blue. It's not like at the beginning of the play Reggie says to her, "You've got to decide whether or not to retire." And if you do retire, you'll save my job and you'll save your friends. And if you don't, this will happen, blah, 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 blah. And then we watch a play where she figures out, what am I going to do about this decision? And at the end of the play, she makes a decision. In that, in th- that The decision about whether or not to retire to, help, to save Reggie from the choice that he made is one that occurs within just one scene near the end of the play. But it does put a spin spotlight or or the ramifications of her decision are connected to that longer term journey she's on which is this this question i guess you you put it in terms of like loyalty which is an interesting way to imagine it or um maybe in terms of what is next for Faye? i mean what what is her life going to become next yeah, Faye has this intense uh, autonomy. Um, she she likes the 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 belief that she has that she will be able to survive whatever's thrown at her, pick herself back up, and keep going, and that she won't get knocked down for long. She might get you know knocked down temporarily, but she'll get back up and she'll keep going. Um, to the point that she doesn't even want to rely on Reggie, who we, we've, we, as we've said, is essentially her family. She doesn't want to, she doesn't tell him that she doesn't have a house anymore. She even, even at the end of the play, and I'll be interested in what your read is on the end of the play itself, but I don't think she even takes him up on his offer at the end. I think she's just, she leaves, she retires and she's gone. Um, so this like, this intense, uh, desire for her to to be on to be on her own to be self-sufficient um is is part of 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 what she's pushing for all the way it's consistent theme for her all the way to the end of the play and i don't think it is is lessened by the end of the play at all and there's this other conflict that comes into pretty clear relief in Faye of systems versus individuals um, and in, in that conflict, even the union is considered one of the systems. There's a really, really great moment where – so early in the play, right, Reggie comes to Faye and says, the factory's closing. Please don't tell the union yet. We need, I'm going to try to figure some stuff out. And Faye says, I got to tell the union. I'm the union rep. We got to strike and we got to make sure that we get our benefits and all that. And Reggie sort of because of his personal con- connection to her convinces her to hold off on that. And she holds off on that for an awful long time until it's revealed later in the play that she was hiding this from everybody. She should have told or at least her union – loyalty would have indicated that she should have told the workers they should have been fighting for their benefits and all that. And Des says, he, he paints that accusation at her, right? He says, you should have told us. We, you, As the union rep, the union should be fighting for all this stuff. And Faye says, we got to give Reggie a chance to work out a deal with management. We're working on a negotiation with management. And Des's line is basically, 
since when is that how the union negotiates? And I love that moment because I think it really highlights that that's not how this should have gone in terms Mm -hmm. of the systems who are going to clash when something like a factory closes and the workers come up against the management and the union comes up against the company. When it's these grand systems that go head to head, that's not how this works. But because these are people and not just machines, right? Cogs in these grand systems, because they're people, it's a lot messier than that. And Faye and Reggie have this relationship that causes her to to handle this in a much different way than we believe she would have in the past, for sure. She tells lots of stories about how the union used to work and how all the stuff they used to do and all of that. And so she represents this, this division between how the system's should or want to operate and how the practical reality of them being people causes the causes breakdowns in the machinery. Well, and that, that breakdown, Reggie's breakdown happens specifically because of that. He kind of wakes up to the fact that the conversation he's having with the bosses, the boss, he, he manages to talk the bosses down from firing Dez. He stands up for Dez and says, no, we need him. You can't fire him. Um, and they say, and okay. there's really two levels to that, right? Because not only does he convince them not to fire Dez because Dez was insubordinate, but he also does not tell them about the fact that Dez brought a gun to work and the fact that mysteriously Dez's bag has some parts in it that right. he claims are not from the factory and, not, and like he's not the thief. And I tend to believe him, but would sure look awful suspicious to management. Mm hmm. So he he kind of he kind of jumps in front of Des and tells them for the multiple reasons that he could be fired you can't fire him. The next like right right after that meeting he's pulled aside and and the boss says well how about Faye and uh, can you can we can we get rid of Faye she's I think I think he uses the phrase that they use which was uh, she's kind of dead weight um, and that for for Reggie is is the epitome of him waking up to the fact that these people are treating my friends, my, my family as numbers, as cogs in the machine, as not people. And that becomes when he, when he wakes up to that, that becomes a thing that pushes him to a really visceral reaction. Um, he can't, he can't adapt into that, that kind of cold hearted, uh, ness of the two, as you said, the two big organizations, union and factory. He can't, he's, he's, he stops himself from growing into this factory minded person when it comes to his family. And in that way, all the way back to like the first comment we made in the intro, this is a really interesting parallel to a family play. This is this, this family is the dynamic that, that uh, forces Reggie into a a visceral reaction that, that he wouldn't make if he were only uh, uh, self oriented, if he were only looking out for himself. And so the play that we actually see is just this snippet of this longer story of this factory closing. And the piece that we see is really a story about are the factory workers going to be told with advance notice or or substantial advance notice about whether or not about about the factory closing because it's the upper level management sort of desire that production is going to continue at a relatively stable rate until the day they shut the doors and so the their hope is that they'll delay being able to tell the workers as far as possible so that that doesn't mess with production and both Faye and Reggie as representatives of these systems union factory get caught up in that decision and that mess and ultimately the play does conclude with because of Faye's decision and because of Reggie's decision as a response to that um, they are going to go ahead and tell the workers right away and I don't have a really good sense at the end about whether this meeting that they're going to tell the workers is like has gotten the green light for management or whether Reggie's just going ahead with it I don't really know yeah, whether it's just a, an act of resistance, kind of. He came to work as like, no, we're having a meeting. We're talking about stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think 
I think that that seems to be the the kind of denouement of the play. Um, if if I, I don't think this this play fits really well in the tragic structure, but it is interesting that once Faye leaves, things are better in the factory. <laughs> Um, the action she takes, the kind of heroic action to say, no, I'm retiring and I'm gone. I'm not even going to say goodbye. Um, I, I'm stepping away. Cues um, Reggie to to make this move, to tell the factory, to to let people in on the secret. And, and even down to the individual relationships throughout the play, Des and Reggie have a lot of uh, conflict at each other. And in that last scene, um, there's a bit of reconciliation. Uh, throughout the play, Reggie is just right in Des pretty hard. He notices all the things that he does wrong. There's a, there's a number of things that Des does kind of intentionally to try to buck the system a little bit. But there's other things as well that Des feels um, uh, misunderstood by Reggie. He feels like Reggie blames him without any evidence for things. And so there's a lot of uh, tension between them all the way down to Reggie breaking into his locker and his bag to discover the gun and the, and the, the parts that he does. And there's, there's even that reconciliation at the end. Des kind of acknowledges that Reggie is doing the right thing, that he's looking out for them, and that they're going to try to move into a space of honesty as, as a team or as a family. So what do you make of the fact that we don't see Faye after this moment that she has with Reggie? So the final scene that we see Faye in human form, I guess, is <laughs> – that sounds a little mysterious if you haven't mysterious. read the game, but so, so it goes. Uh, Faye and Reggie has come into the break room late at night. Again, Faye's living there secretly, but not so secretly now. Reggie already knows. And R Reggie comes in and says, uh, crap, I almost attacked my supervisor when he suggested that I should try to get you to retire because he didn't see the human you and he's all upset. He almost attacks the boss but doesn't. And Faye suggests, well, what if I just go ahead and retire and you get to tell your boss that um, you did it successfully and that will maybe make things better for you. And the conclusion of that scene is not conclusive one way or the other, what's going to happen. In fact, Reggie is pretty adamant that she should not do that. And then there's this moment at the end of the scene where they're kind of holding hands, this human connection amidst these machines of these systems working. I think that's the image going for. And mm -hmm. then the next scene is we discover that Faye earlier that morning had retired and she's gone. And we don't see her again in human form. What do, what do you make of that as a as a conclusion for the character? Do we get to see that character come to any sort of resolution on her journey? It's an interesting question. Um, I think I think what it does for the character is that it creates an ongoingness about her. She's she's made one more definitive choice. And that choice took her into a world outside of our experience. Um, so you can kind of imagine an ongoing life for Faye of some sort. She's mentioned before that kind of her old plan, along with uh, Reggie's mom's old plan, was that if they were to ever get fired, they would just hop on a bus and go live in Florida. Um, somewhere warm where it wasn't Detroit and freezing cold in the winters. Yeah, the, um, the, the idea basically being it's better to be homeless <laughs> in yeah. the warm than in the cold. And that's why you see a lot of homelessness in the, in the southeast because the weather's better during the winter. Right, right. So so we know that's a plan that she has. Um, so, so, so there is that sense. However, there is something to this, this last scene that we've kind of referred obliquely to, um, where I think, I think the line is her spirit suffuses the room. Yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the, 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 the resolution between Reggie and Des has already happened. Reggie's announced that they're going to go ahead and tell the employees that the factory is closing. Uh, they're going to have a meeting. Uh, Des and Shanita have headed out onto the factory floor so they can get to work. And then um, this happens. <clears throat> Suddenly, the silhouetted workers come alive. They begin working the line smoothly, collaboratively. For the first time since the beginning of the play, the line has harmony. 
Suddenly, Faye's spirit fills the break room, and Reggie can feel it, as if her name is being echoed across the lockers and the bulletin board and the floors. She becomes embedded into the soul of the plant. Reggie inhales and exhales as Faye's spirit envelops him. Lights fade. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's also worth noting the beginning of the play, the author's note, the, f- the first sentence is, this play operates in realism with touches of the magical and ethereal. So that moment that Jacob just read is is a, uh, it's one of those like, you read it as a production team and you're like, okay, let's figure out how we do this. Cause, uh, Cause it is this moment where she has to be present. Faye has to be present in the moment somehow um, without specifically calling for her to be bodily present. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the stage direction is she becomes embedded into the soul of the plant. Yeah. And that, as a director, as a lover of the theater, is an incredibly interesting stage direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and when you I mean you, you think of a break room, right? You got you got really two things to work with. You got a break room and then you got a you have whatever however you figured out how to do this performance art piece that happens throughout the play of the factory and people working in silhouettes and stuff. So you have these two elements that she has to get um uh spiritually involved with. <laughs> and and uh so so it's just fascinating to try to think about how you present that. Does Reggie walk around and and just like notice the things that she touched before, like the coffee maker, her locker, a pack of cigarettes that she left or something like that? How do you communicate this kind of spiritual um, oneness with, with the material? And this is, of course, a... It is a fulfillment of this is the payoff of earlier in the play when which we've been referencing when she has this really touching poetic monologue about being the factory. She says, I know everything about this place. The walls talk to me. The dust on the floors write me messages. I'm in the vents. I'm in the bulletin boards. I'm in the chipped paint. Nobody can slip past the cracks. I I, I can see through the lockers. She is the factory, is this poetic monologue she has earlier in the play. And then this this spiritually embedded into the fabric of the factory at the end of the play is a fulfillment of that. It's the payoff moment for that setup early in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that it's paired with the knowledge that she probably wrecked one of the lines on her way out. Like there's, yeah. there's <laughs> so, and, and they, they like specifically say this could only have been done by someone who knew the factory really well. Right. <laughs> um, and, and she, she's said before that she knows how to walk around without the cameras seeing her. So, um, so, so yeah, it's just this, this, this interesting moment of kind of a, um, she, she one last, one last act and then a, an eternal, uh, kind of, living in that will go on after she is gone. So as a character on a journey, we see Faye in this conflict pulled back and forth through the whole play. Then in this final scene where she's physically human form on stage, Reggie presents her with this problem that he has, and it's her choice that's able to solve the problem and cause the denouement of the show, the resolution of the show. But it's not a choice that we get to see on stage, right? In fact, like I've said, that scene ends with Reggie saying, don't worry about it. I'm going to come and clean in my debt. I'm going to take the fall for this. Uh, They're going to fire me. It's okay. Then I'm going to take you home because you're homeless and you can live with us and my family will work it out and then she and he kind of hold hands in this human connection moment so we don't see her make the decision and in fact the scene ends with us at least seeing one of the two characters say she's not going to make that decision then we don't see her again except for her spirit embedding itself into the factory right and how is how did those Two moments connect. I mean, what? How does the journey fulfill itself somewhere between those moments? Um, I th- I think it. I, I, I mean, I don't know, but I'll, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take a stab at it. Um, <laughs> I I, th- I think to some degree, 
you you don't get to see the action, but you get to see the consequences. Um, and by consequences, I just mean the the kind of neutral word consequences of an action. Um, it's not in this case. These these are really beneficial consequences, <laughs> right? Like she has one last moment where she says, "This is my factory, and I can do with it what I want." And she manages to get away with it while still retiring and getting her pension. So that's like. A victory for her character. You get to see the relationship. Although it is a, a much less, it, it's a less valuable retirement package and pension. Again, because she's retiring at 29 years instead of 30, the, mm-hmm. the benefits package is worse. Yeah. Significantly. Still a sacrifice, um, and and yet we also get this sense that I think she'll get out okay. Like it's she's not going to get charged for vandalism um, and not get her retirement plan, for instance. Um, and you see the ramifications of leaving Reggie in a position of authority. Reggie decides to do the right thing and and uh, start telling people, start trying to communicate well and out of secrecy. And that only happens because she steps down and the bosses get off his his back a little bit in terms of his physical attack. And see if you agree with me about how all this fits together here. I, although it doesn't say... The script. My sense is that Reggie is able to have this meeting with the workers with the thumbs up from his bosses because all play he's been worried about if I tell people they'll fire me. And so it doesn't seem like at the end of the play he's just suddenly going to be cool with being fired, especially if Faye just gave up her job so he could stay. So given those clues, it's my assumption that he's doing – he's telling all the workers the factory's closing finally now with the green light from the management, which makes me believe that Faye's – decision to retire so that Reggie could sort of present that as evidence that he's been doing really good work and they should trust him. That actually gave Reggie a lot of cred with the management, so much so that he's able to convince them to have this meeting and tell the workers. Now, that's a lot of leaps, but I think the connection points are there. So Faye's decision to retire directly creates the situation in which Reggie has the cred to convince management to tell the workers the factory is closing. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with that. Um, uh, there's enough little little kind of stepping stones along the way to, to reach that conclusion. And it's a pretty powerful one, especially when you think about the two ways that this play could have ended, right? Like it could have ended with Reggie saying, I'm going to take responsibility for this. I'm going to take the fall. I did something wrong. I can stand up for what I did. And also, you're going to come and live with me, and it's going to be fine. I'm going to lead us, and it's going to be great. (laughs) And that's not the way Faye chooses. Faye decides to lead. Faye decides to, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this out of service to the factory, out of service to you, out of the the best possible option. And and she is the one that decides the fate. She's the captain of the plant's soul in that moment. And and she her her action dictates the rest of the play rather than kind of, uh, having Reggie be the one to be the leader moving forward. Well, and that action, that decision that she finally makes as it relates to this other look at the play, this thematic look at the play about the the competition between these systems of union and, and factory. Her decision is so brilliantly, subtly, movingly unrelated to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, she seems to make this decision, I think, just totally devoid from, well, what should the union do as a response to the factory closing? How can we convince management to give us better pensions? She seems to make this decision purely out of love for Reggie the individual. I mean, he comes into that scene distressed that he's going to lose his job, he's going to lose the house because he can't have the job, that his career is over because his reputation is going to be ruined. And she says, I can fix that for you. It's an incredibly personal human sacrifice that I think just puts in really sharp focus the, the humanity of this play you know, su- succeeding over the systems of the play. Hmm, mm-hmm. 
I think that's about as much time as we have for this play. It's it's a beautiful play. Uh, really, as we've addressed these like really deep, rich characters, we could continue to talk about the ramifications for it, uh, and 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 even more of like the historical particularities within this play that are really uh, viscerally important to the story of Detroit and the people who worked at the factories. We mostly talk about themes and characters on this podcast, but if there are more of you out there who would love to. St- have those conversations. If there's anything we missed in this podcast, obviously this is a play with uh, four black characters in it and we're two white guys talking about the play. So if there's anything that you think we should have covered more or you just want to talk to someone about this play, whether you've read it, seen it, been in it, have other perspectives to add, we'd love to keep talking about this play with you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We are also on Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about skeleton crew with you yeah we'd love to have our perspectives broadened so please please add yours to ours and that'll be the best way to discuss the play going forward if you have would like to recommend this podcast to your friends and your family that's a great way that you can support the show you can send them to google play apple Podcasts, spotify or podbean where we're hosted a great way to find every new episode is just on facebook where we post a link to the new episode every monday when it's released So until next week, when we are talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for listening to No Script, the podcast. We'll see you.